Welcome and thank you for listening to this message from Legacy Church New Braunfels. To connect with us, go to LegacyNB.com. Now enjoy this message from Pastor Jay Miller. So I started a series about four weeks ago called Keys to Expansion. Let me say Keys to Expansion. And how do we step into the next steps of what God has for us? And so when uh, Alan was with us, Dr. Alan Hawkins, he actually talked about the Lord's table. And one of the biggest keys to expansion of the Lord inside of your life and the Lord through your life is understanding the importance of the common table and the sacred table. Communion, if you learn to take it on a regular basis, to really receive it as the Lord has intended it, to receive it by faith and believe it for healing, for wholeness and release. Everything I just read out of Deuteronomy 28 is made available through communion when, you, when you're able to come to him. And so if you want to expand the kingdom in and through your life, make communion a very important part of your family, as much as it is the common table with your friends, with your kids, bringing them and talking about the good things that God has done, having fun from them, that will be a good key to expansion. I also talked to you about the prayers, uh, positions of prayer. How do we position our heart? How do we come into this place where as it is in heaven, it's released here on the earth. And so I want to kind of continue in part of that theme this morning with a message called coming in and going out. Let me hear you say coming in. Let me hear you say going out. Let me give you another phrase in that. To know him. Uh, That's right. To know him and to make him known. Coming in is to know him experientially. Directly. The time we just had in worship was an amazing time of coming in to the presence of God. And it wasn't just we were lifting up a few songs. It wasn't just a praise offering. No, there was a level of encounter with who he is alive right now in this room, alive inside of you. And because of you worshiping him, me worshiping him, us coming together, there was this beautiful symphony of voices that were being lifted up. And we knew him in a different way. And in this place of worship, we began to know one another in a different way because we began to become one in our voices lifting ourselves up to him. And so it's important for us to know how to come in to the presence of God and the purpose of prayer, the purpose of worship, the the purpose of reading the word of God is to know him. It's to know him. Not just know things about him, but to know him. You will learn things about him. You will learn characteristics. You will learn his names. But those things are only there to point you to a reality of how good he is and how he wants to demonstrate himself on the planet through your life. So coming in, get to know him. But then the point of coming to know him is there's still a world, many people who do not know him. And so as we make him know, he makes himself known to you, we have to go out, and we're going to look at some Old Testament uh, scriptures that talked about going out to war. What is the purpose in the new covenant of going out? To make him known. To make him known to people who are lost, and to make him known to the demonic realms. There's a verse in Ephesians 3 that talks about, and it was his plan to be able to use the church to make his ways known in demonstration to the second tier heaven. All the angels and all the demons. There's a way, the principalities and everything that's built itself up against the name of Jesus. He actually uses your life to make himself known to them where they, ha- they have to go like, you are God. At the very end of this thing, they're going to bow down. Every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Every knee will bow. And at the very end, even Satan's going to have to kneel down and bow. Now, it will not be a declaration of salvation for him. 
It's going to be a declaration of, I'm surrendering because you finally have crushed me. My rebellion is finally coming to an end, and there's no more hope for any more rebellion. In that moment, even Satan and his rebellion is going to have to say, there is no other other than you. And that's the moment he gets thrown in the lake of fire. And that's going to be fun to watch, because we who know Jesus will be able to watch that. And it's going to be powerful. But in this moment, while we're here on the earth, we have to understand the importance of what it, know, it means to come in and to go out. Papa Jack says this in his book about prayer. No believer's spiritual life will ever rise to stay above the level of his or her praying. No believer's spiritual life will ever rise to stay above his or her praying. So this is not just about praying, this is about worship, this is about studying the Word, this is about encountering Him. And so there's these moments that we come into this place and we have a high water moment. It was this amazing God's in here, but when you walk out of this place, at some point, the corporate rising of the waters is going to recede because we're all going to go back to our separate places within the city. And it's in that moment where the way that I pray, the way that I seek His face, the way that I worship Him, the way that I study His Word, the way I do it in my heart... That's actually going to allow that water level to stay high inside of my life. That's why sometimes people will come into the presence of God and they'll get wet, but their hearts remain stony. And they have an encounter with God, yet they walk away untransformed because they never knew how to actually let him come into their heart. And there's a verse that says this in the Old Testament, I will take your stony hearts and I will give you a responsive, tender flesh heart. And this is what we're looking for in this place of coming into his presence, where I'm not just getting splashed on the outside like it was Shamu, hidden in the water at SeaWorld, and all of a sudden I'm wet, but nothing changes on the inside. I had a good experience, but the point of the experience is to get him in here. Does that make sense? So we have to learn how to come in. So let me read a definition of prayerlessness according to Papa Jack. But I just want you to look at this thing too. Prayerlessness, worship, or the word. All this place of getting to know him. This is the definition, the state of praying less than one should, less than the Father desires, or less than you know is best. Did that, did that escape anybody? Escape that. Right? There's an equal opportunity of fence in this. We all have probably had moments where I prayed less than I should. I knew I was supposed to pray, but I was tired, I was weary, I had something else going on, and I'm like, yeah, I'll get to it later. There's also been these moments where we go, the Father desires to see your face. Not from a legalistic perspective. When you make prayer or worship or the word a legal requirement, you'll never actually get to know him. All you do is have this exterior understanding that God's mad at me because he didn't come, I didn't come and go X, Y, Z in my prayer life. No, no, he wants to be with you. You're a joy to him. When you come into his presence, he's like, yes, here comes my kids. I want to spend time with my kids. And so in this place of understanding prayerlessness, worshiping less, studying his word less, what's that doing? It's actually the Father desires me all the time. The key is learning. I, I, can't, I can't read the word 24 hours, seven days a week, can I? I'm going to sleep. I'm going to eat. I'm going to go to work. We've got kids. We've got family. So it's learning how into these moments when I come into the presence and I'm just there with him. And throughout the course of my day, I've got, I'm meditating on the word of God. It's going through my mind. 
I'm just praising him as I'm going through. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to be able to work at this place. Bless my, my employer. Bless my employees. Whatever it may be. And this place is this constant state. And so we need to come into a place of what does it mean to come in? Not just in this place right here. Not just when we have the band up here. How do you come in at 5 o'clock tomorrow morning and nobody else is around? How do you come into his presence at 2 p.m. tomorrow and somebody brings you a problem on your desk? How are you going to come into his presence of this? This is what we're wanting to step into. But here's what prayerlessness causes. It causes separation between us and God. Not because God is separating us, him, himself from us, but we actually, as we don't come into the presence, we're creating a barrier inside of us, which separates us from the plan and the purposes of God. You're probably really gifted. You know how I know that? You're made in his image. Every person in this room has gifts and talents, and you've got a unique image of his image inside of you. And because of that, you probably can go to your job tomorrow and actually be very productive just because you're gifted and made in his image. But that's going to be on your own strength. What I need to do is I need to come in and realize it's from the overflow of the presence that I'm able to go out and pour his presence into everything that I do. So prayerlessness causes separation between us and God. It separates us from the plan and purposes of God. It denies him the pleasure of time with you. And it distances you from his victory in your daily life. It distances you from knowing his victory. Do you know Jesus is always victorious? There's never been a day on, in the, all of eternity that he was actually not victorious. Somebody said, well, what about the cross? No, that was the victorious moment where he actually conquered death. They didn't take his life, he gave his life. It was victory. And so it's about taking and pressing into it. So if you've ever been through this moment, it was going, how do I pray more? I don't want to talk about function right now. I just want to talk about the heart of what it is, the intentionality of your heart to get into a place and seek him out. I'll give you a good example. I'm learning about the courts of heaven. And uh, if you mark your dates, uh, April 14th, we have the the uh, uh, fire on the altar will be coming. We'll be getting more information about that. And then the next day on April 15th, I've got one of my brothers is going to come teach on the courts of heaven. It's going to be absolutely fantastic. And I've been learning how to operate in the courts of heaven a little bit differently. And uh, it was several weeks ago when Alan was with us, and that morning I heard the Lord say, hey, I had somebody I, had, I needed to forgive. And he goes, you've forgiven that person inside of your heart. And that's really good. I'm pleased with you. I need you now to come to the court of heaven and release forgiveness in heaven. I don't know how to do that. I, I, I just I don't know. But I, here's what I did. You told me to do something, and by faith, I'm going to step out. And so I said, Lord, you told me to do it, so I'm coming by faith into your presence, into the court of heaven, and I'm submitting a brief of forgiveness on the behalf of this person that the enemy would have no more reason or legal paperwork to accuse them for the offense that they had done because I've released that offense. And it was like the same broke in the spirit. Now, did I read a book about that? No. Did I know what to, No. It was by faith and responding to him going, I don't know how it's going to work. I'm just going to get started. I'm going to take the first step. So times praying with the Lord is not about watching how everybody else prays. It's what is he prompting you inside of your heart to step into an expression and get into his presence. Amen? So let's discuss the first target of prayer. It's to know him. We talked about this a second ago. Let me give you some verses. Jeremiah chapter 33. Verses 2 through 3, and this is in the message version. It says this, This is God's message. The God who made earth made it livable and lasting, known everywhere as God. 
Call to me and I will answer you. I'll tell you marvelous and wonder things that you can never figure out on your own. What's Jeremiah saying? Here's the message that God wants you to know. God makes himself known to you. His ways to you. He wants you to know him so you can understand how the earth works. 1 John chapter 5, verse 20. And we know that the Son of God has come and he has given us understanding. Let me hear you say understanding. So that we can know the true God. Let me hear you say no. And now we live in fellowship with the true God because we live in fellowship with the Son, Jesus Christ. He's the only true God and he is eternal life. That word know there in the Greek is epikinosis. It means to experientially know him. So we're in this process of having an encounter with him. This is why it's important when you come forward for prayer and ministry sometimes and you have somebody that's laying hands on you, what's happening? It's actually connecting you with him through that other person, but the presence, you can feel him tangibly on you. There's a place of comfort. This is why it says, comfort those who need comfort. Mourn with those who mourn. Rejoice with those who rejoice. What is that? Sometimes we need flesh and blood right next to us and we need community to be there. But what is it? It's the presence of God making himself known to you. And where do you discover that? In the quiet place. By being able to press in and just ask him, Lord, you said you make yourself known to me. So I just want to know you. Reveal yourself to me. Beginning to ask him questions of what it looks like. John chapter 17, verse 6 says this, I've revealed your name to the men you gave me from the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they've kept your word. Now they know that all things you have given to me are from you. Because of the words that you gave me, I have given them. They've received them and have known for certain that I came from you. They have believed that you sent me, and I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you've given me, because they are yours. doesn't mean we don't pray for the world. That just wasn't his assignment right now, okay? Everything I have is yours, and everything you have is mine I've been glorified in them. I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I'm coming to you, Holy Father. So protect them by your name that you've given me so that they may be one as we are one. Verse 20 says, And I pray not only for these, but also those who believe in me through their message. May they all be one as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe you sent me. Let me hear you say going out. So as you come in, you become one with him. Then you go out, the world can believe. The coming in and going out. We'll unpack that a little bit more later. John 10.30 says this, the Father and I are one. So to know, and the Hebrew word is yada. Adam knew his wife Eve, and she conceived and bore Cain. That's the, it produces life. Jeremiah 22.15, but a beautiful cedar palace does not make a great king. Your father Josiah also has plenty to eat and drink, but he was just, just and right in all his dealings. That's why God blessed him. He gave justice and help to the poor and needy, and everything went well for him. Isn't that what it means to know, says the Lord, to know me? That, that, that Hebrew word again is yada. To experientially know him, there's going to be a production. There's going to be a fruit that comes out of the place of intimacy I come in. It's going to, a, a fruitfulness is going to come out of your encounters with him. You follow me? Jeremiah 22, 15 through 16. I know I'm going fast because I had a shorter time and I want to get you all out before noon. And then you can go back on YouTube and you can put it on three-quarter speed. (laughs) 
we, we went through Dan Moeller uh, t- hours and hours of teaching, and we actually had to slow it down because he was da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And then at three-quarters speed, it was normal speech, so it was good. <laughs> Let me give you one more time in the Greek or the New Testament where it talks about epikinosis. Second Peter chapter 1, 1 through 4, it says this, Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those you have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. Look what he says. Because of that, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Let me say in the knowledge of God. What is that word? Experientially know him. We could walk out of this door right now and I can guarantee you can find some people who have a knowledge about Jesus and they could even spout off some facts about him, but they do not know him. They haven't been transformed. It hasn't come from the inside out, but they've had an encounter with the knowledge of good and evil about somebody. And what we're talking about is how is this transformational, this intimate encounter with him begin to transform you. You have this knowledge and it actually multiplies this grace and peace inside of you. Let me read that verse again. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. As his divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him. There's that word again. Who called us by glory and virtue by which has given us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these, listen to this, you may be partakers of the divine nature having escaped the the corruption of the world partakers of his divine nature. Does that mean you're like God? Yes. Does that mean you're God? No. You can be like somebody and not be them. Clarity? Right? You get to partake in the divine nature of God. What is that? Is he holy? Yeah, be holy as he's holy. Is he peaceful? Yeah, be peaceful. Is he wholehearted? Yeah, be wholehearted. Does he think righteous? Yeah, think righteous like him. Does he heal the sick? Yeah, bring him and heal the sick. Do you hear what I'm saying? Does he actually take broken things and make them brand new? Yeah, take broken things and make them brand new. You get to share in this, but how do you do this? In experiencing who he is, and in that place you experience who he made you to be. Get me on this. This is where the New Age movement begins to actually kind of work its way in and say, you can be like a little God. No, 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 no. Your nature is still your nature. You just get to partake of who he is in his holiness, and you're made in his image to be an expression of, of all his goodness to the world. But it's still him doing it. Heal the sick? He's healing the sick through you. Multiply bread and fish, you can do it. I've talked to plenty of people who've been on the mission field and they've watched as food was running out and they were serving the poor and that last scoop kept going out and kept going out. Who fed them? The person scooping it out and Jesus. Because they were partaking of his nature. They were stepping out on faith and they never thought once, look how good I am. Like, oh my God, you're amazing. I thought we were not going to be able to have any more. We were going to have to turn people away. Thank you, Jesus. It brought him glory. But the way that you get to that place is by getting intimate with him. And Proverbs says this, the beginning, uh, fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Fear of the Lord, reverence, awe is the beginning of wisdom. We were talking about this in the men's group on last Friday. And I just had the thought, and the beginning of the fear of the Lord is intimacy with the Lord. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. 
But the beginning of fear of the Lord is intimacy with him. When you get so close to him and you discover who he is, you will not take him for granted. You will not presume things. You won't become so familiar. You'll realize just how holy he really, really is. You'll just understand how good he really, really is. You draw into that place and all of a sudden you realize how big he is and how small you are. And yet he goes, and you and I are one. I get to be one with the one who created the universe. I didn't do a single thing to do that. Except believe. Coming in is about this place of setting him into the place of your heart. Where Galatians 2.20 can actually become possible. I've been crucified with Christ since no longer I who live, but Christ who what? Lives in me. And the life I live in this flesh is lived by the faith of the Son of God. I'm appropriating his faith. Where do I get that? I come into his presence. Psalm 103.7 says this, He revealed his character to Moses and his deeds to the people of Israel. The New King James Version says that same verse, He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the children of Israel. Why was Moses called a friend of God? Because he actually knew him. Why did, I'm just going to propose to you, why did Israel continue to go in and out of relationship with God? Because all they knew was about his deeds, they didn't know his ways. When there was an invitation to enter on to the mountain, the holy mountain, they said, Moses, you go, he's too scary. And they let fear enter inside their hearts. And so they had to have an intermediary, and they never knew his ways. But they could tell you he split the Red Sea and he split the rock and he did this and he did this and he did this. But because they only knew about the exterior, they never let the exterior come into the interior and transform their hearts. But Moses is going like, I know who he is. I know what he can do. I remember there's a story when we were beginning to move into the ways of the Spirit and um, I had somebody challenge me and they go, I just don't think theologically God still heals today and started going through a list of stuff and at that point, I was still new in my journey into it. I, and I told him this, I know you've got all that. I used to argue the same thing. But I just watched the blind eye open in the name of Jesus. The experience I've had with him trumps your theory about what he can and can't do. You have to get in to where it's scary sometimes. You know what that requires? Get over yourself. We always talk about this in freedom ministry. Sometimes you got to drive down the lows, buy a ladder, and get over it. Yeah. Right? I mean, just get over it. It's time to get over you and get into him so him, he can get into you. Coming in. Look what it says in Exodus 33, 13. Now, therefore, I pray you, if, you found, if I found favor in your sight, show me now your way that I might know you. This is the cry of Moses. I want to yada you, God. Show me your ways, your heart, the way you think, how you care. Why are you so good? I want to know every part about you. I'm a, and I don't, this could go weird in different places, but I just want to think, when I started dating this beautiful woman, I wanted to know everything about her. Why does she think the way she thinks? Why did she tell the joke she tells? It was just like, I, I want to be in this journey to become one with her. And do you know that's what God says about you? You're my bride. I want you to know me, and I want to know you so that we can become one. 
I'm just going to read that Exodus 33, 13 through 19. It says this, If it is true that you look favorably on me, let me know your ways so I may understand you more fully and continue to enjoy your favor. And remember this nation of yours is your very own people. The Lord replied, I will personally go with you, Moses, and I will give you rest. Everything will be fine for you. Then Moses said, but if you don't go personally with us, don't make us leave this place. How will anyone know that you've looked favorably on me, on me and your people, if you don't go with us? For your presence among us sets your people and me apart from all the other people on the earth. And the Lord replied to Moses, I will indeed do what you have asked, for I look favorably on you, and I know you by name. And Moses responded, then show me your glorious presence. Then the Lord replied, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will call out my name Yahweh before you, for I will show mercy to anyone I choose, and I will show compassion to anyone I choose. You know what's interesting about this verse? Historically, going back for that, he has this moment, hey, Moses, Take the people, go to the promised land, and I'll send an angel with you. He'd already told him who was going to go with him. And Moses came to this realization, but an angel doesn't carry your presence like you do. I won't settle for a servant when I can get the king. Do you hear what I'm saying? I love angels. They're here. They were ministering this morning, but they're only servants. They're only messengers. They're not God. Okay? I want him and him alone. And so this is the place of when we sing that song of Echo Holy, a million angels falling on their face, all echoing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. It's in this place. And this is where Moses goes, uh, we can't take the promised land without you. I'm not going to even try it. And notice when he says, it's your presence that separates us. Kind of had this thought, you know where deception enters in? We enter into a place with a supernatural being, and it's not God. And people can't distinguish is that New Age? Is that Muhammad? Is that Buddha? Is that, it creates confusion. But when Jesus steps in the room, there's no doubt. There's no other name. His presence separates us from all other religions and all the people on the earth because he's alive and he's real. So coming to his presence is absolutely necessary for life and where we receive what we need to go out. So let's talk about coming in and going out as a key to expansion. 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 5. And, and I promise you, if you've never heard this message before, you won't be able to unhear it again. You're going to look through Scripture and you're going to begin to see coming in and going out, going out, coming in, as a theme in several different places, Old Testament and New Testament. 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 5. I'm going to read through verse 14. It says that Gibeon the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask what shall I give you? Solomon said, you have shown great mercy to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in truth and righteousness and uprightness of heart with you. You've continued this great kindness for him, and you've given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. Now, O Lord, my God, you've made your servant king instead of my father, David. But I'm a little child, and I do not know how to go out or to come in. In other words, my dad, David, was a worshiper and a warrior. I know this came from his relationship with you, and I don't know how to do it. Verse 8, And your servant is in the midst of your great people, whom you've chosen, a great people too numerous to be numbered and counted. Therefore, give to me, your servant, an understanding heart to judge your people that I may discern between good and evil, for who is able to judge this great people of yours? Literally, it means, let me think as you think. 
Let me see as you do, as you think. As, let me do as you do. Let me see how you move. It's, it's actually repentance. In an Old Testament context, that had nothing to do with sin. If the only time you repent is because you sinned, you're actually only getting a smidge of what repentance has to do with anything. Repentance is an ongoing encounter with thinking like him. And it doesn't have to do with anything with sin. So in this moment, Solomon's like, he's already king. He's in this place. God says, ask me whatever you want to ask me. You want some cars? You want some this? You want some that? I mean, he was like, ask for me for anything. And he goes, I want to know how to come and to go out. There was something I watched my father, David, do in a place of intimacy that made him successful in everything he did. Would you give me the wisdom to actually be able to guide these people? What happens when you come into the presence of God? You don't just discover who he is, you discover who you are. You discover what assignment, what gifting, what talent, what anointing you're actually going to be able to get from the Lord to actually carry out the going out part of this. Look what it says in verse 10. The speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked the thing. And God said to him, because you've asked for this thing, it's not asked for long life for yourself, nor have asked for riches for yourself, or have asked the life of your enemies, and have asked for yourself understanding to discern justice. Behold, I have done according to your words. See, I've given you a wise and understanding heart. Let me hear you say heart. Whose heart was that? God's. If he was the wisest man to ever live, whose heart did he do that with? It, was not the man, it wasn't a man's heart. He gave him his own heart. What more could you ask for God when you go in, Lord? I've got this people who are difficult to love or to forgive. or what, what am I, I don't even know how to do this. But will you give me your heart to know how to love these people? Verse 14 says, So if you walk in my ways and keep my statutes and my commandments, as your father David walked, I will lengthen your days. What's interesting is, Solomon did not. He made a mistake. He stopped coming in because he thought he had it all. And we know that by, just according to age, he probably lived to be 59 or 60. So he never actually saw his life extended because he made compromises. But imagine is this. He, he took what God had given him as wisdom and an understanding heart, and he became haughty in it and said this, I don't need anything else. I'm the smartest one around. So I'm going to marry this woman, I'm going to marry this woman, I'm going to marry this woman. I'm going to do all these things that are against the Lord. And he forgot the heart he was actually carrying. Look what it says in Deuteronomy 31, verse 1 through 3. Moses went and spoke these words to all of Israel. This is, at the, this is right before they're about to enter into the promised land. He says, I'm 120 years old today, and I can no longer go out or what? Come in. It wasn't because he was sick. It was because his assignment ended at the Jordan River. And so he was no longer as a leader able to come in or to go out for the people of Israel. It says, the Lord has says, you shall not cross over this Jordan River. The Lord your God, verse 3, himself crosses over before you. He will destroy these nations from before you. And you shall dispossess them. And listen to this. Joshua himself crosses over before you, just as the Lord has said Every time Moses came into the presence of God and went out to deal with the people, who was there right by his side? Joshua. Why did Joshua inherit the title of leader of Israel? Because he knew how to come in and to go out. Joshua carried the heart of God. He carried the mind of God because he was constantly in the presence 
of God. So every time he came out, he was able to make wise decisions and move forward with it. So what do we do before we're filled with God's presence? I mean, what do we do after we're being filled with God's presence? We have to go out. We have to witness. Look what it says in Joshua chapter 14. This is actually Caleb speaking in verse 9. Here's the theme. Listen for the words. So Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land where your foot is trodden shall be your inheritance in your children's forever, because you wholly follow the Lord my God. And now behold, the Lord has kept me alive, as he said, these 45 years, ever since the Lord spoke this word to Moses while Israel wandered in the wilderness. And now here I am this day, 85 years old, and as yet I am strong as, I am as strong today on, as I was on that day that Moses sent me. Just as my strength was for then, so now is my strength for war. Listen to what he says, both for going out and for coming in. So there's two men that came out of Israel that actually were able to enter the promised land, Joshua and Caleb. What was their key? Coming in and going out. Coming in and going out. So there's two keys to understanding going out. Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says this, But you shall receive power when you receive the Holy Spirit, when he has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of of the world. Let me hear you say coming in and going out. What did they have to do? They had to go into the upper room. They came into the presence. They received from him. Then what? They had to go out to share the gospel. So the great commission must go out to all the peoples and the nations. But here's a key that many times Christians don't understand. They know how to get into his presence and they never go out and do anything with it. And they become actually like a cistern. Cistern with a C. C C-I-S-T-E-R-N. A cistern was basically a well that does not have continual water flowing. What happens if their water does not flow? It stagnates, it stinks, and it can carry diseases. So sometimes we come into the presence of God, and because we're not going to go out, he pours in a fresh word and a fresh spirit upon you. You're like, yes, this is so good. I'm in this moment. And for a part of the time, a season, you're, you're, you're refreshed. And you go, man, but now I'm starting stagnating again. I don't know what's happening on. My first question to me is, what did you do with what you received? Did you go out and share a testimony? Did you go out and pray for somebody? Did you go out and encourage somebody? Did you go out and buy somebody's lunch? Did you go out and actually take what you got from the Lord? And did you go out to war for his kingdom? By loving people, taking it to the streets. Because Christians are designed to be living springs and not cisterns. We are designed to be living springs, not cisterns. Springs continually flow out, what is, uh, out, which is what keeps the water fresh. Go ahead and flip in your Bibles to John chapter 4. You okay? Verse 1. Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing, making disciple, more disciples than John. Though Jesus himself didn't baptize them, his disciples did. So he left Judea and returned to Galilee. But he had to go through Samaria on the way. Now, if anybody understands the region and geography of Israel, this was not along the way of where he was going. He actually had to go out of his way to get where he went. But he knew he had to go there. So it says, eventually he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Joseph Joseph's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, gave, uh, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. 
Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. He was alone at that time because his disciples had gone to the village to buy food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with the Samaritans. She said to Jesus, You're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, If you only knew the gift God has for you and who you were speaking to, you would ask me, and I would give you living water. Let me hear you say, coming in. This is what Jesus is saying. If you only knew who you had access to, you would come into me, and then there's living water would begin to spring up inside of you. Verse 11. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, and this well's very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoy? Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give them will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. And Jesus replied to her, you're right. You don't have a husband, for you've had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke this truth. Well, sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me why it is that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship. Let me hear you say worship. Coming in always has to do with worship. While we Samaritans claim it is here at the mount where our ancestors worshiped, Jesus replied, Believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship. Let me hear you say, know very little. So the key, again, coming in, so I get to know the one I'm coming in a relationship with. It says, while we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming, and indeed it's here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. I just want you to hear this. What happens when you come in? You get cleaned up. You get healed up. You become wholehearted. We cannot go do ministry from a broken heart because you'll give away what you've got. It doesn't mean you have to be perfect. It doesn't mean you have to have it all figured out. But what it does mean is this. I know what I'm actually giving to people. What I'm giving away to people is not what I have to give, but I have to get what he has. So rivers of light and water begin to spring up inside of me. Now I have something that I can actually give away. So look what happens here. Uh, verse 27, the disciples came back. They were shocked to find him talking to a woman, but none of them had the nerve to ask. What do you want to, what do, you want to do with her? Why are you talking to her? Verse 28, here's what I get. The woman left her water jar besides the well. So the place she had actually been getting her identity from, the place that she began substance from, the place that she had her life circled around, she leaves it behind and she runs back to the village telling everyone, come and see a man who, would, who told me everything I've ever done. Could he possibly be the Messiah? Let me hear you say, going out. So she comes into the presence, and not even by her own volition, Jesus came and found her. So here's, here's why I'm going to use this as verse as an example. You don't need the lights. You don't need the music. You, you don't even have to be. All you have to do is have an intention of God. God, where are you at? He's looking for you. 
You can accidentally run into his presence. Just know the one you run into and embrace it. It's that easy to press into him. But then there's this point of how do we go out with it? Look what it says in verse 39. Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, he told me everything I ever did. When they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village, so he stayed for two days, long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. Then they said to the woman, now we believe, not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the Savior of the world. Coming in, going out. John 7, 38, anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For the scriptures declare rivers of living water will flow from his heart. Let me give you one more verse. What happens if you don't go out? 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1. This is a man, David, who was a man after God's heart. But look what he says here, verse 1. In the spring of the year when kings normally go out to war, David sent Joab and the Israelite army to fight the Ammonites. They destroyed the Ammonite army and laid siege to the city of Rabbah. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. What follows this? His encounter with Bathsheba. He has an affair with Bathsheba. He has her husband killed. This thing, because he did not go out in the time that he was supposed to go out, he became stagnated inside of himself. And so in that place, it actually polluted his mind. So what I'm telling you is if you don't come into the presence and then go out, what will happen, even the good thoughts you had about God will actually start to stagnate inside your mind and you need fresh manna. You need fresh water. There needs to be continued. Come in, go out. Come in and go out. I'm sorry, I've got one more verse for you. There's just too much, there's just too much good stuff. Mark chapter 12. Verse 28, this pretty much sums up the coming and going out from a gospel perspective. One of the teachers of religious law was standing there listening to the debate, and he realized that Jesus had answered well. So he asked, of all the commandments, which is the most important? And Jesus replied, the most important commandment is this, listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord. That was actually a Shema. It was a repeated prayer. There's, the Lord is our God, and there's only one Lord. Verse 30, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. Let me hear you say coming in. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. Let me hear you say going out. No other commandment is greater than these. So keys to expansion, learn to come in. Learn to discover who he is. Learn to press in. When you read the word of God, this literally, here's a prayer. Lord, I want to know you. I want to know your ways. I don't want to be like Israel that was okay with your deeds. I want to be like Moses who didn't even have the Holy Spirit living inside of him. And yet he knew to cry out, Lord, I want to know your glorious ways. I want to know you. Begin to read this and he'll begin to open your minds and you'll be able to encounter him and the scripture will come alive. How do you worship him? When you go out tomorrow, Lord, I want to make you known today. When you go to lunch this afternoon, I want you to take... Any encounter you had in here, if you want to actually multiply that encounter for yourself, go give it away to somebody else. Generosity actually turns into multiplication. And all of a sudden, you take the seed that you got, and now it multiplies in the field out there, and it comes back to you, pressed down, shaken together, overflowing. 
I'm just telling you right now, when it says the verse talks about, we always apply it to money. It's just a kingdom principle. It was not about money. It was about judgment. Judge lest you be judged. And it will come back to you, pressed down, shaken together, overflowing. What is that? It's a kingdom principle. Whatever you're generous with will actually come back to you overflowing. And what I was saying is, what if this? We come into his presence and we have an encounter with his face. We have an encounter with healing. We have an encounter with wholeness. And now I'm able to go give that away. And now it comes back to me, pressed down, shaken together, overflowing. And pretty much, pretty soon our city goes, man, there's not a need in our city anymore. The sick have all been healed. Relationships are now whole. And it go, there's a word that goes around the nation saying, you want to get a healed marriage? Go to New Braunfels. Why? Because the people of God that were there discovered who he was to make him known to one another and to the world. And suddenly, that's how the gospel goes viral. We don't need a marketing campaign. You are the marketing campaign. So why don't you stand up with me? So Father, we just thank you for your goodness. And I thank you, God, that you are faithful. You said if we seek you, we will find you. I thank you that you don't hide yourself from us. You might hide some revelation for us to discover, but you never hide yourself from us. And so I ask this morning, the same grace that we experienced during worship corporately, where we came into your presence and people were being healed and set free, people were growing in a place of intimacy, would you just release a grace for that for 5 a.m. tomorrow morning when somebody gets up to go to work? At 2 p.m. tomorrow when a problem comes across somebody's desk. When we go to school tomorrow, Lord God, in these places, Lord God, would you just begin to multiply, Lord God, the place of coming into your presence so that as we go out, Lord God, greater things flow. And I just thank you, God, that tonight is going to be the best night of sleep we've experienced. Because Solomon experienced you in a dream. He experienced you in nightlife. And so, Lord, will you make yourself known? Overcome every objection. And transform us so we can release in our world. And we just declare this right now in Jesus' mighty name. And all God's people said, amen, amen, amen. Thank you so much for joining us as we seek first after God's kingdom and release it to transform lives and cities. If you would like more information about how to grow in the kingdom or connect with Legacy, go to our website, www.legacynb.com.